0: How do you remember the loved ones you have lost? How do you measure their lives? Welcome to episode 382 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anonymous, Alice, Gina, Ruthann, Laura, Danielle, and Joanna. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anonymous, Alice, Gina, Ruthann, Laura, Danielle, and Joanna, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. When my grandfather died, my father wrote a thoughtful personal remembrance of him. And at that time, I thought, oh, I'd never be able to do that. I'm sure I couldn't do that. But because of the work I've done in recovery, I can. The examples of other people in the program who are vulnerable and opening in their sharings, the work of self-examination that I did in Working the Steps, With the help of many others and a loving higher power, of course, and my own practice at deeply sharing my own experience in meetings and with program friends, all of these changed me to be able to express my feelings and my understanding and my experience of my mother in this remembrance, which was recorded at her memorial service in mid-April, 2022. Just as music was important to my parents, to my mother, it's been important to me and I often... Find meaning in songs. And so it is today. So I was driving to New York State to be here. A song from the musical Rent was going through my head. You may know this song. It's called Seasons of Love. And I kept hearing this refrain How do you measure? How do you measure the life of a woman or a man? is <laughs> a question that's been in my head since December 18th, 2021. How do I measure the life of this woman? This woman who gave me life, who taught me so much about life and about love, and whose love for me and for her whole family was was always there, was always evident. How do I measure this? And the thing is, you see, that her contributions to our life, to our lives, and to the world were not always clear to me. You know, she was... The wife. She was the mother. She was never just Marilyn. But what I realized, she was the glue. She was the dynamo. She was the quiet foundation without which our lives would have been <sighs> so much poorer. So much. You know, as a child, her presence to me was the water I swam in, the air I breathed. was just there. It was essential to life, but it was just there, and I didn't see it, really, you know? I mean, dinner was on the table each evening. The clothes got washed and put away somehow. I didn't see that. It just was what happened. And when I skinned my knee or bruised my elbow, she was there to soothe away my hurt. That seemed just the way it should be and the way it was. It's only in looking back that I can see the work that she did the ways in which she enabled our lives to run so smoothly. And as Reverend Sherry mentioned, we spent every summer from 1960 until we went off to college. Between getting out of school in June and going back to school in September, we were camping in the woods up above Lake Canandaigua. My father was there on weekends and Wednesday evenings. The rest of the time he was working at Kodak, you know? And I suppose he must have had a week or so in there somewhere that he actually spent with us, but she was the person who made it work. She was the person who cooked meals on a camp stove. She was the person who wrangled three kids and a dog in the woods with the, you know, the cliffs into the ravines and then the beach by the lake, between the lake and the road, was about 50 feet. And having had my own children in that space, I am just astounded at the fact that she didn't go nuts somehow, you know, that she was able to, to do that emotionally. And as I grew into adulthood and I started an independent life, she was still there for me. When I needed her. Our children were born five weeks early at the end of 1990. Her first grandchildren, her only grandchildren. And one of our children was admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit with a life-threatening illness. She had been planning to come out and be with us for the, you know, when the when the children came, and I called her and I said, in this same tone of voice, I said, please, come now, we need you. And she did. She dropped whatever was going on in her life, and she got on a plane from Rochester to Detroit, and she was there while we dealt with one new baby at home and one baby in the hospital. And I don't know how we would have done it without her being there. You know, and that's who she was. That's who she was. If you needed her help, she would give whatever she could. And you know, the song, the song asks, what about love? Well, well, I think we've heard some of that already. But what about love? I never had any doubt that she loved me. Never. And that she loved all of us. But she also gave to us the example of her love for other people, and and in particular, her love for our Father. Love, love that was evident in their actions. And as we've been going through the tens of thousands of photographs my father left behind, that love is so clear in some of those photographs. You know, Just going through a pack of photographs and there's a whole bunch of flowers and there's a whole bunch of buildings. And then there's a picture of the two of them just smiling at each other. And it is so clear. Or a picture of her smiling at him, or a picture of him smiling at her. It's so clear. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was asked recently, my wife and I, one of our neighbors was offering a Valentine's Day photo shoot, which we said, yeah. She posed us in some kind of silly settings, but she also posed us, hugging each other, looking each other in the eye, holding hands. And at the end, she said, that was so easy because you guys look like you're so much in love. That was the example that she gave to me, that you could be still in love for that long. You know, and we only got 40 years, okay? Okay. So, when I'm asked, how does that happen, I point to them, the example. This morning, I was looking through, Murray had collected together some of the writings and drawings and stuff that he had found as he's going through their their archive, if you will. And I opened up this notebook. I just opened it up to the middle. And this is what I found, written in her handwriting. I'm going to try to get through this, because as soon as I saw it, I broke into tears. So we'll see. For Woody, on our 54th anniversary, a friend once said to me, if I should ever marry again, I hope it will be someone like your husband. You are very lucky. I know, I said as softly as I could, oh, yes, I know it very well. I know it with a song in my heart and ever-deepened thankfulness. Happy anniversary and much love, Marilyn. She loved us. She loved him. She loved the world. And, you know, I wrote, I will miss her. I do miss her. I will continue to miss her. There will be those moments like this morning when God put that little poem in front of me. And I know that that love will live on and will continue as long as one of us is here to remember her in this world. Thank you for being here. My first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at eighty two is the cast of the musical Rent with the song Seasons of Love. I mean, you probably could have seen that coming, right? And I think I already said what I need to say about that song and why I chose it. I'm going to go straight to listener feedback. There is quite a bit of listener feedback because I've been... Storing it up during the time when I wasn't on a regular recording schedule. Got an email from Anjana. She has an interesting question. She heard the term from somebody on the show. I don't think it was me, but it's possible she heard the term dry al She shared on this topic at a meeting, and some of the other members told her, that's not a term from our conference-approved literature. To be honest, I think that's probably right, but I think it's still something that can have some meaning, some heft to it. And what do I think of when I hear this term dry Alanon? I think of dry drunk. Of course, there's an analogy or connection there. So a dry drunk is somebody who has stopped drinking, but doesn't have any recovery program. And so typically are going to exhibit irritation and other, other characters that are difficult maybe for them. And it may be difficult for those around them to live with. So how do we think about this in Al-Anon recovery? I think of a couple possibilities. One is somebody who is affected by somebody else's drinking, and perhaps they're trying to control it or fix it, and they don't have the support of a program like Al-Anon. That's not exactly the same as dry drunk. Yeah, I don't know. What does that term say to you? And to answer uh, the question that Anjana had, which is, is this a term in the literature? I'm pretty sure it's not. But we say a lot of things in meetings, we say a lot of things on the podcast, because the podcast is not a meeting that are not in the literature, but still can help to maybe bring some insight to somebody who's listening. And I think that, to me, that's also important. Kelly sent a letter. Hi, Spencer. Although I did not grow up in an alcoholic home, my parents' other addictive behaviors left their mark on my upbringing. I am a member of more than one 12-step group and have enjoyed the blessings of recovery from my own addictions. Several of my fellows in recovery over the years have suggested that I attend Al-Anon meetings, including my brother, who has been in Al-Anon for several years, and I have seen his transformation firsthand. In all honesty, I have been in a total of two Al-Anon meetings over the past 17 years and have been living vicariously through my brother's discussions about it and what he continues to learn. I was overwhelmed by the prospect of joining yet another recovery program, so I kept saying, someday I'll go regularly. Four years ago, my mother suffered a stroke that left her unable to care for my dad or elderly aunt. I took on the care of all three of them, thinking she would recover and take over from there. She did not. This long immersion into a helping role for my family was more than I could handle sanely without an al element in my life, and I knew it. My recovery fellows urged me to go, but with severe limits on my time caring for them, for my business, my failing health, and out of sheer desperation, I searched for an Al-Anon podcast. There you were. This podcast has been a lifeline for me and has taught me so much. And although I'm continuing for now without the benefit of the Al-Anon community and meetings, I do understand the need to attend meetings. There is so much more help and serenity available. A couple of times over the years, I've heard you say that you hope no one listening to the podcast uses it as a substitute for the Al-Anon program, so I'm certain what I'm saying is not what you want to hear. All I can say is that this podcast has helped me through some very dark times, has educated me, and has helped me to see just how much I need Al-Anon, its meetings, and its fellowship. My recent life experience has led me to hit a bottom in another addiction I didn't even know I had, in January, I started work in another 12-step program, and it is literally saving my life. So again, attending Al-Anon meetings takes the back burner. I keep thinking will hear feedback on the recovery show from someone like me, someone who doesn't attend meetings yet. I hope you consider the podcast offering a branch to someone who is drowning, because that's what it has been to me, and showing them what healing, serenity, and camaraderie there is on the shore, even if I haven't gotten that far. Many say it every week in the feedback portion of the podcast, but thank you, Spencer, for what you give to this show. I can only imagine the work involved in producing it weekly. And please know that the impact is not tenfold, but millionfold. Warmly, not a member, Kelly. Thanks for writing, Kelly. And maybe what I said comes across a little too strongly. I firmly believe that when you can, being in the fellowship, whether it's in meetings or in relationship with other members, is beneficial, but if you're in a situation where you can't get there, and I've heard from a number of people who they live out in the country or they don't have transportation, and it's very difficult for them to get to meetings or to find time to go to meetings. Man, taking care of three elders, I totally understand where you have to ration your time, and in, and in that case, I'm really grateful that we, those of us who contribute to this podcast are able to provide something that is giving you that benefit. So keep coming back, and maybe someday you'll be able to go to meetings. But I totally understand. Linda is responding to episode 377, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. She writes, complete random pick. As I was unable to sleep, I picked up my earbuds and phone to find a meditation that could help me fall asleep. After 5 or 10 minutes of meditations and still feeling restless, I went to your podcast and hit a random episode. To my surprise, this very subject I am struggling with is being talked about. I'm a fairly new member to this podcast, but have listened to most, if not all, the episodes. This is the first one that covers my real-life story. How does this happen in the middle of the night when I need it the most? I'm also struggling with the idea of a higher power. Perhaps this is one of those moments that will help with that struggle. Thank you so much for all you do in this podcast. I can't tell you how very much this has helped me with those difficult moments. Pop on a podcast and the moment has passed. And a little heart emoji. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, I don't know how that works, but it sure as heck does sometimes, doesn't it? Annie says, Hi, Spencer. Can't thank you enough for your faithful service in making these invaluable podcasts. I'm curious if you've ever done a show about living with a high-functioning, disengaged alcoholic. My loved one works hard every day but comes home and drinks every night. He's not belligerent or violent, just disengaged with the family, and usually just has a few drinks and zones out with Netflix or goes to sleep. I'm curious if others had difficulty knowing what was going on because of the way the illness was presenting itself. I would love to hear from others, experience strength and hope on the aspect of a loved one being so emotionally unavailable yet able to be so high-functioning. Thank you again for all you do, Annie. And clearly I don't remember in detail all 380-something episodes, so I can't say for sure that I haven't had somebody who's been in that situation on the show, but I think maybe not. So again, I'll put it out to you who are listening. If this is your experience, Would you like to share with Annie and with many other people, obviously, that experience and maybe some strength and hope that recovery has given to you in that experience? Brenda sent an email with the subject line from a factory in Nova Scotia, Canada. Well, she writes NS, but I'm pretty sure that's Nova Scotia. Hi, Spencer. It's 6.12 a.m. and I have seven more minutes before I have to do the fast dance of getting ready for work. I sit there, sewing for eight hours with a few breaks. I used to listen to music. Now I listen to your show. After the first week, I felt so happy like there was a way out of this. Then, this past weekend, I felt so sad for all of us in this world of uncertainty, of seeing our loved ones do what they do. I realize I will go through phases. I really am a teacher of 32 years, and I would have thought I would enjoy retirement at this age. I think I took this job because, number one, I had to retire from teaching because I was controlling every little detail in my teaching, and that's too many details. Two, I needed to stay really busy, keep my hands busy, and have little time for anything else and to get out of the house. And three, I do need the money, small amount though it is. Anyway, whatever your show is doing, and I know it is doing good, I love it, and I feel like my work as an Al-Anon member is going to be so very hard, but it seems maybe I can work through it. I've tried counselors, and I could not find my way. I even went to Abu Dhabi to teach, to try and listen to myself there to decide what to do. I came back home and moved back in with the same problems. I have to go to work, but just had to say thank you. I have a whole bunch of podcasts downloaded for today, and I can't wait to get to work to hear them. Kindest regards, Brenda. Wow, that's pretty amazing, and I'm glad that we can keep you company while you're working. And I'll tell you what, you say, I feel like my work as an a member is going to be so very hard. And what I would say to that is, I suggest you take it just one step at a time. And each step, not so hard. And then after a while, you look back and you say, wow, look how far I have come. And it wasn't that hard, was it? So give that a thought. From Sally. She writes, hi, Spencer. I'm so grateful that I have found your podcast has been like a lifeline to me over the past 24 months, as I've watched the disease of alcoholism take over my husband. Thank you. You are a saint, and the work you do is bettering the lives of those that are suffering from this family disease. I don't know if I'm a saint. I feel like I'm an ordinary guy who happens to have the ability to talk into a microphone. She continues. We are in our early 40s with young kids, still in preschool and elementary school. One thing that hadn't crossed my mind until just recently was that I myself am an adult child of an alcoholic, though he, my father, was never formally diagnosed. It has always been and continues to be a problem for him, into his 70s and for my parents' marriage as well. He was never abusive, and I remember a lot of loving moments with him, but I also recall my mom's heartache over and over because of his behavior when it came to alcohol. I have many memories of calling him home from bars at the age of 9 or 10. He was always, quote, entertaining clients, and that always trumped his family life. It got worse as they became empty nesters while my brother and I were off at college and came to a head as I was getting ready to marry my now alcoholic husband in 2005. The week of the wedding, I was driving my dad's car and discovered an ultimatum letter from my mom. I even shared it with my future husband. I was crushed. I remember guilt writing such a super sweet letter to my parents, thanking them for the wedding and promising that my husband and I would have just as beautiful of a marriage as they have, I had no idea what I was saying, but I knew I was pissed and hurt as well. Fast forward 17 years, and now it is my husband as well that has this issue. We have started therapy as a couple with an addiction specialist, and suddenly a lot of scientific information on the disease presented is clicking with me. I was talking to my mom recently about our woes with our troubled alcoholic husbands, and she mentioned to me how her own father and her mother's father had similar alcohol dependency issues. This struck a nerve. I can't believe the lineage of how we are marrying. What is modeled for us has become true. As I write this, my 70 year old mother, her 68 year old sister, my aunt, and I all have married alcoholics. I'm sad and mad about what this means for my own two young daughters, four and nine, who already scold my husband in report on his alcohol usage. Just curious if you've done a show on this topic because now, of course, I can't stop thinking about how all of this is connected. It sickens me to think that this is potentially setting my own children up to go down such a path of heartache and destruction in their adult lives too. Thanks so much for your time in reading this, Sally. I know that I have done some shows with parents, uh, some of young children. I think there's even one titled Parent of Young Children or something like that. What I've heard said, is, and and also from people in meetings, is that they're working their program to help break that cycle of addiction and addiction to addiction, whatever it is. So keep on with the program and start carrying, maybe not like blatantly, but carry the message of recovery to your kids and you'll be surprised how they pick it up. And maybe when they get to the point of finding a person to spend their life with, their picker, as we sometimes call it in meetings, will find somebody who's not an alcoholic or an addict. And even if they do, they'll have the grounding to be able to at least have a more realistic, maybe a view of what's happening. I don't know. I'm babbling now. Also, you might consider if it's possible in your area when they get a little older that they attend Alatine because again I've heard from Alatine members and you might check episode three oh one if you haven't listened to it, as Genevieve, who started recovery at the age of fourteen, is a member of Alatine and she talks about what that meant to her and how you know it's helped her in her life. Thanks for writing. Esther left us a voicemail.
1: Hi, this is Esther, and I just heard uh, number 379 and the shares on it, and they were just wonderful. So I figured I would add my share, and and hopefully it will aid somebody, including me, (laughs) and help me let go and bring more light and healing to myself and others. My husband is a doctor and we've been married for 50 full years. And I discovered about 10 years ago after his retirement that he was drinking excessively and I felt guilt and confusion and shame and sadness. But I didn't identify his drinking as the disease of alcoholism. I'm not a drinker and I... I didn't have any prior experience with addiction. And then about a year ago, I heard the term functional alcoholic, and that really clicked. And I started to go to Al-Anon on Zoom, and I started listening to podcasts. And I took care of myself, and I strengthened myself, and And last August, my husband had some serious upper back surgery and then had some unexpected uh, debilitating side effects from that surgery. And also, I think the drinking complicated is complicating his recovery. And uh, we have four kids who are all adult professionals. Three have families, and two are on the opposite coast from where we are. Pretty much the boys are in denial. My daughter here is understanding, but like me, she doesn't have any experience with this disease. So where am I? (laughs) I'm grateful for my life, and I... Maintain my helpfulness. I think what I'm getting to is, or what I'm really asking is, I hear people on the show talk about their loved one. And I'm not able to say that to (laughs) my loved one. It just takes so much energy and effort to stay focused. and, And Spencer often says his turning point came when he heard, I can't control or cure or cause it. I didn't cause it, but I I feel like I must have done something to contribute to the situation. And I have a good relationship in God with my higher power. My husband does not, ever. In any case, I feel like this is a test, and I just hope and pray every day from insight and understanding. And I feel that I should pray to love him more. I wonder if anybody has, else has that kind of thing. I help him. I'm smiling. But the relationship is really gone. I guess that's the big test, to keep going even when the relationship is gone. So if anybody else has insight about this, I'm interested to hear. That's Monsieur, Thanks so much. I haven't been able to get a sponsor through the Zoom. It doesn't seem to... I haven't found quite anybody yet. But if anybody wants to respond
0: here, I am. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Esther. There are bits in there that definitely connect with my experience. I didn't know anything about alcoholism when uh, my wife started drinking too much, I thought. She should just cut back, and it I, I had to go through that whole learning process, and eventually got desperate enough to come to Al-Anon, and I'm so glad I did. You also asked about the term, my loved one, and how that's difficult for you. And I understand that. There definitely were times when I did not feel loving towards my wife. But I like the term. What I feel like is it wouldn't have bothered me as much if I didn't love her. If I didn't care about her, if I could have just said, "Eh, I'm gone," so even when I was not feeling loving, that was still there underneath the anger and the frustration and the rage and the despair. And it was still—I think it was still there. I will also say that I certainly did not use that term when I first came to Alanon. I don't really know when I started using it. I used it because, in part, because I don't really like the term qualifier. And it gives a little bit more anonymity in my sharing when I use that term. That was my choice. And we got another voicemail. We got one from Roberta about the recent episode on awareness and acceptance. That's number 380, which was a recording of talks that Eric and I gave at an online Zoom conference.
2: Good morning, Spencer and Recovery Show family and Eric. I'm responding to your episode, I can't even remember it, Acceptance, Awareness, and Action, where you and Eric both spoke at an AA conference via Zoom, I'm assuming because it was so quiet in the background, and no one applauded <laughs> when you both were done. Oh my goodness, Um, what can I say? Oh, hi, my name's Roberta, sorry. I came to a huge awareness this week. And I didn't realize how much Eric and I have some similar stories in our stories. My 15-year-old daughter, which I've shared before on your program, is suffering from mental illness and escaping with drugs and suicidal ideations. And she's currently in a behavioral therapeutic boarding school in Utah and is doing very well. She came home recently For a four-day visit and then went back and I thought we had a great visit until she came clean with her family teachers at the house she lives in and her roommate and said she stole her nephew's Adderall and took a couple hits off of her adult sister's nicotine pen. Yeah, so I went into what I normally go to, my default anger, which masks my fear. And I know that, but what I realized, what my awareness came into this was, and it was literally just like a blip in my mind. I can't even describe how it happened. And then I had to write it down because I was just so overwhelmed with the realization that I never grieved for the loss of my marriage. I was married to a man who I loved. He was my, I am going to be 52 this year. He is eight years older than me. And we are great friends and great co parents, great grand- grandparents together. I met him when I was 18. So he was my only adult relationship. I was probably with him for 26 years and married for almost 20. I never grieved over the loss of that marriage and how the disease stole my marriage. It stole a man I loved. It stole the father of my child, the children that we share together. And I am fearful that this disease is going to steal my child. But the revelation of that was, it was like a huge weight was lifted off of me. And I got to tell her that. We do family therapy via Zoom every Thursday. And I was able to let her know, look, I go to anger And that is a character defect. That is a attribute. You spiraling down the rabbit hole activates my anger. Whatever you want to call it in our program, I know, I know what I do. And I find I'm accepting of that. It's awareness. And my action is absolutely nothing except I got to journal. I journaled it all out. I haven't read it yet, but I plan to read it to my sponsor because I told her I had a breakthrough And 10 years new in this program, and I am so grateful that I had this revelation. And I knew it had nothing to do with her and her actions. I mean, yeah, she's 15, and she's being stupid, and I want to smack her. Of course, I'd never harm my child. But that's what I wanted to do to my ex-husband. And again, to the grace of his higher power, he found sobriety. Just like I kept coming one day at a time, one meeting at a time, to these rooms in Al-Anon. Yeah, I'm just so, boy, blown away. And I just wanted to share that. And thank you both again for your experience, strength, and hope on the topic. And I hope to contribute more to your show too. So thank you for your service
0: and all you do. Bye. Thank you, Roberta, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, for sharing your experience with awareness, acceptance, and action. Thanks. Arsenia, Left a short note. This show came as my saving grace. When my world seemed to be shattering all around me, I discovered the show and it eased me into reclaiming my sanity and learning different points of views to relating to Alanon. Thank you. Thank you, Arsenia. Thank you. Joan writes about episode 381, I titled Acceptance is a Gift of Recovery, which again was a recording of a talk that I gave at an online conference about a year ago. And I discovered it on my hard drive. I was like, I never published this, so I put it out. She writes, the show that was aired today was exactly what I needed. It won't surprise you to know that I am another person who is immensely grateful for al the remarkable ways in which al has changed my life and helped me grow immeasurably as a human. Then, bam, my heart power decided I'm doing so great, might as well throw another challenge my way. My dad, who has been caring for my declining mom, ends up in the hospital with mysterious heart stuff, and I'm sad, scared, overwhelmed, panicking. I'm single parenting four kids, including two teenage boys who hate me. There's a hostile environment at work, and I'm an only child. I was not ready to face my dad's decline, not to mention mortality, and I've been freaking out. Listening to your podcast today was so incredibly helpful, thank you. I feel more calm, capable, less panicked moving toward acceptance, which I didn't identify as such until this moment. I just knew I felt better. Thank you for being part of the magic of Al-Anon. Sincerely, Joan. Thank you. Thank you for writing, Joan. And I am glad that my words provided some help, my sharing my experience and the sort of the difficulty and the pain that I was feeling. You know, you're not alone. And I think that was the first thing that I recognized when I came into al that I was not alone. And that was so important to me. So I'm glad I could be there for a moment for you. Carla writes, Hi, Spencer. I am so grateful for your podcast. It has brought me so much peace to be able to listen to it between my meetings. After many years of prayer, my husband has finally gotten to a place where he's decided he needed help with his disease of alcoholism and entered a rehab facility. For the first time in many years, I know he is safe and getting the help he needs. I'm wondering if anyone can share their experience, strength, and hope with spouses in rehabilitation. This is all new to me, and I could use any words of wisdom right now. Thanks so much, Carla. Well, I know that, again, there are a number of guests who have been through that experience, who shared some of their experience um, on the podcast. I'm not sure I can pick one out. I was there. My wife went through more than one rehab. We probably don't want to hear that, but The big one that she went to, the residential program that she went to, was really helpful to both of us and brought on her first period of long-ish term sobriety, about eight months, and brought me to Al-Anon. I was starting in Al-Anon at that point, and it really supercharged my recovery. Yeah, the coming home experience was a little scary because I really didn't know what to expect, and I know that I've talked about it. I just don't remember what episode I talked about it in, sorry. Rose has some Alanon thoughts. Dear Spencer and listener, coming to Alanon has been a priceless gift. I've been on a spiritual journey working on inner peace and other lofty goals, but I had no idea about this codependency thing. I grew up with a therapist mother who believes she is an alcoholic and worked the steps later in life, but I took on the role of helping others through dispensing advice very seriously. Unfortunately, I have been encouraged to do this throughout my life and I'm pretty sure it's an addiction of mine. Feeling like I am helpful buoys my self-esteem. Now I am working listening more and not talking as much, being responsive in a loving way instead of reacting with action instructions. Just today, I heard the slogan of hands off, heart open, which will be my mantra going forward. Currently, I'm in a rebound relationship with a sweet person who I believe is an alcoholic. When he came home yesterday, I kept smelling his breath, and he admitted he had a, that's in quotes, beer and half a joint. Today I heard the don't kiss and sniff. I am a beginner in this program, haven't even been to a Zoom or live meeting yet, but got all the books and daily readers. I plan to jump in with Ernest soon, but meanwhile, what I've been gleaning from your credible podcast, which I've been binging on pretty much nonstop since I discovered it a few weeks ago, has been unequivocally shifting my mindset to a healthier one. I never knew anything about boundaries, and I'm learning by practicing setting them. My friend told me months ago about saying to my boyfriend, you can do what you want, but I can choose to interact with a sober person. Focusing on what I need, not trying to change him or his behavior. I need to learn to be consistent in this. I imagine my desire to offer suggestions, including books and podcasts, is as strong as the desire to drink in an alcoholic or any other addiction. I would have liked this person to be the love of my life, but I'm learning. After 16 years with an alcoholic and a loveless relationship, that I needed to focus on me and not expend too much energy on something that is clearly headed nowhere except in the same repeating constellation of relationship. In the past, I never wanted to think about the future, but now I see how self-destructive and self-sabotaging that was. Perhaps it was that I didn't set any time aside for such thoughts, since I was scrambling to feel as if I was in control of others. I'm looking forward to going to the page of slogans To find ones that will help me bring the consciousness of Al Anon into my life throughout the day. Again, your podcast and everyone who shares contributes immeasurably to this community. I'm extremely appreciative and feel very lucky to have found you all. Rose. Well, thank you, Rose. And it sounds like you are on the journey to a more serene existence. Yeah. And here's one from Emily. Hi, my name is Emily. I live in Massachusetts and I've been a grateful member of Al Anon for almost seven years. I want to thank you for episode number 371, A Teacher in Recovery. I am new to The Recovery Show, and this episode really hooked me. I'm finishing up my 25th year of teaching high school English and social studies. In those 25 years, my first qualifier, my husband at the time, died in a DUI. A year later, my mother died. Then my daughter, who had been drinking since she was a teenager, hit her first bottom. She went to a rehab program for a month and then went right back to drinking. In 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer the same week my school shut down for the pandemic. I started a new position at a new school the day after my last radiation treatment. For the entire 2020 to 2021 school year, I looked for other jobs. Teaching, and especially teaching remotely, was draining me, and I needed badly to be nurtured. In one of our staff meeting rooms, there's a poster that says, We're here to make good things happen for other people. This idea, in a nutshell, is what makes teaching so hard for me. We are told endlessly to practice self-care, but the nature of the job makes self-care difficult to impossible. The school day hours, the meetings, the extra duties after school, the chaperoning and committee work, the needs of my students, it is endless if I let it be. This year, I have too often felt exhausted, frustrated, and impatient with my students. Last week, I hit a wall. I started backing out on commitments and prioritizing my own health and creative outlets. Episode 371 made me think deeply about my intentions, my need for approval from my superiors, my ever-present perfectionism, and my desires to fix my students. I've never thought of myself as a people-pleaser, but I definitely take on tasks I don't want to do or don't have the time for because I want the approval of someone I admire or because I think it will raise my status or my income. This year, I have realized that I have been the go-to person in my schools for years, and yet the status and income have not materialized other than the yearly salary increases that every teacher gets. My perfectionism shows up in areas like finding that perfect image to go in my Google Slides even though it's 9 p.m. and I should be getting ready for bed, or getting out of the house late because I can't find the right necklace to go with my outfit. Lately, I've been challenging myself to leave at least one imperfection in every project because, you know what? The students don't even notice. My greatest feeling of gratitude, though, is for the reminder to detach with love. The day before I listened to this episode, I had been short with some students who said the documentary we were watching was boring. It was about the 1980 Olympics and the miracle on ice. I thought for sure they would find it interesting, so I was frustrated with their lack of curiosity or desire to learn something new, and I told them exactly that. After listening to episode 371, I went into school the next day and made amends to them, apologizing for my tone and telling them that I was going to practice Letting them be where they are in their learning and not taking it personally. I love the reminder that I don't have to react to everything. Teaching is a hard job. It's a rewarding job, but it is also draining. We are there to make good things happen for other people. Sometimes, teaching feels like making a hundred people do something they don't want to do every day because we know it will be good for them. It's easy for us as Alanons to fall into the same behavior that make our lives unmanageable with our qualifiers. Thank you for giving me so much to think about to make my teaching and my personal life more balanced. Thank you for making The Recovery Show, and thank you for letting me share, Emily. Oh, man. Wow. So much in there, so much in there. Thank you, Emily, for writing, and thank you again to rajini for doing that episode with me that touched you so strongly. Wow. Andres says, Hi, Spencer. New listener here. Thank you for what you're doing. Last night, I went to my first meeting, and it was great. Your podcast and this meeting will help me tremendously. I was wondering if I could ask you a question. Maybe you have already addressed this in a previous episode. I guess the question is, how do I know if my wife really does have a drinking problem? She runs her own business, very successfully, I might add, and thus has a lot of stress and big decisions and issues. For the past few years, we've been having one glass of wine with dinner. It was really nice and special. This has now changed to two glasses on her part, sometimes on mine. Why does it bother me? Because when she's tipsy, she's much more reactive in the regular stresses of life. We have three teenagers and an exchange student in the house, two businesses to run, ailing parents, etc., etc. She often goes to bed at 8.30 p.m., leaving me with kids, dishes, kids' homework, etc. Not a big deal, but it seems unfair and totally avoidable. But am I blowing things out of proportion? I have talked with her about it, and she says she hears me, is sorry I'm so concerned, but insists that she's gotten better since I started bringing it up. Meh, not really, in my view. She then argues with the usual excuses I've learned. I'm overreacting. She doesn't like to be controlled. She has a stressful life because it's my fault. My business doesn't generate enough income, etc. So we're not in a horrible situation, for sure. I don't think my kids have noticed, though they do say that sometimes in the evenings she gets, quote, really tired and incoherent, and doesn't make a lot of sense, and repeats herself. Seems like very soon they're going to make the connection. They're not dumb. I don't know if I'm truly looking at the beginnings of a dangerous slide into alcoholism, or if I'm simply staring at a habit that has gotten a little bit too far for my comfort, but can be reeled in back to a more normal level. Anyway, have you addressed this in any episode? Thank you for what you're doing. That question comes up a lot. I'm sure it's been addressed in episodes, if not Directly, Partly, I think, because the Al-Anon program encourages me to take my focus off of the other person and put it on myself, and not to ask, is she really an alcoholic? But to ask, does her drinking cause behaviors that bother me, maybe that lead me to try to control, that make me angry, that make me frustrated, that make me scared? Because I can do something about my reactions, I can do something about the way in which I act, and to some extent about the way in which I feel and respond to the drinking and the behavior. So what I often say to newcomers in meetings when they say, I don't know if my loved one, my wife, my husband, my boyfriend, my mother is an alcoholic or not, I really connected with the things I heard here. I say, well, then you're in the right place. For that purpose, it doesn't matter whether it's diagnosed as alcoholism, self-diagnosed or diagnosed by a medical professional. It really doesn't matter because if they're drinking and their behavior is affecting you, then you can probably get some benefit from Elanon. We got a letter from Susie. Dear Spencer and Eric, I want to thank you for the work, time, and energy you put into this show. You're helping countless people, and it is a huge gift. As always, when I turn on your podcast, I hear exactly what my higher power wants me to hear. I listen while I'm doing a four-hour drive to a home my husband and I have in the mountains. On this drive, it was the episode on letting go. I have been in Elanon for seven years, and I still have trouble getting out of the way, not solving and fixing, and getting my brain and emotions all tied up in my daughter's problems. She is 29. She's capable of solving her own problems. After all, it was her decisions that got her into the mess she's in now. She's also seven years drug-free, but her problems and drama seem to overwhelm her. My job is to set my boundaries, listen, love her, but stop doing for her. It is hard for me. After listening twice to this podcast and taking notes, I went to the edge of the lake where I am and tossed two rocks into the lake. Both rocks were full of holes and worn. The first one was me, the second one was my daughter. I gave them to the lake and to my God. I wanted to feel instant relief, a whoosh of freedom and serenity. I felt a little wind and then some tears. I had expectations of what it would be like. Ha! Funny how easily I can just revert to old stuff in the midst of trying to do the right stuff. I frankly still felt like I was holding on. I went home and began an art project that I had been afraid to start, afraid it would not be good enough, that I would mess it up and need to start over. Again, silly me. The art I do is called Zentangle, a meditative form of drawing that has no plan or judgment, no expectations, no right or wrong, and no mistakes. I can't even call it drawing because it's not really drawing, so why was I afraid? What is there to be afraid of? But I jumped right in, and ink flowed from the tools without effort or much thought. I was relaxed, serene, and peaceful. God is so powerful, and my God can help me let go again and again as many times as is necessary. I need to let him and stop fighting it. I need to put the issues in perspective and know that all is as it should be, and I am not in charge. Thank God. Thank you again. I've been listening for many years and have shared your podcast with all my al friends and my husband. He's an al as well. Keep them coming, my friends. You're helping me stay in my lane and not crash into the crazy. Well, thanks, Susie. And I love the image of throwing the rocks into the lake. Yes part of letting go i just was listening to a, a recovery podcast today and one of the people spoke about being always between surrenders because as soon as he surrendered one thing he would start picking up something else that he then realize he had to surrender so it's a process and it it's always a process we got a voicemail from louise hi spencer
3: this is louise here from california I just had to leave a message after listening to your latest episode of 381 on how acceptance is a gift of recovery. And that was such a beautiful share you gave. I so enjoyed uh, every moment. You have such a gift of painting a picture whenever you share. I loved um, how you shared about you standing in the field. I don't even think I can get through it without getting emotional or reflecting on it, losing your father. And I remember that day, I remember listening to it when it was fresh. I've been listening to you for quite a few years now. You are my go-to person whenever I am in crises, but I listen to you even when I'm not. Recently, I've been reflecting a lot myself on my own mother's passing away. And it was, gosh, six years ago, I actually lost my mother on the day that I picked up my first sponsoring program, and that will put a gift for my higher power. But more recently, one of my coworkers who's somebody that I've had a pretty, I'll just say challenging relationship with because she too is affected from growing up in a violent alcoholic home and she is not in recovery yet, but she literally just lost her mother on Mother's Day. And I was feeling what I thought was depression. And then I realized, no, it's not depression. It's grief. Just walking through the loss with her her mother, it brought back all of the experiences I went through of grief. That is a gift of recovery, is being able to feel our feelings. I'll keep it about me. For me. To feel my feelings and to be able to identify them. Even though it doesn't happen immediately, I am able to recognize that it's perfectly okay. And I will probably forever grieve The loss of my mother, especially for me having, you know, grown up in a dysfunctional home. I think they call it complicated grief where you're me. I keep saying you, but it really is about me that I will forever have to work through the layers of the onion of my relationship with my mother. And she was my first qualifier and a gift in my life. And I'm so grateful. And absolutely the key is acceptance over people and places and things and every little detail. And I know for me to get back into serenity is to get into radical acceptance of whatever I'm going through at the time because the disease is a disease of perceptions. And so I know that my first thought is typically mm. wrong and I have to apply the tools of recovery and that is pausing when agitated or doubtful and just staying in that God-consciousness. Anyway, thank you for letting me ramble. I just wanted to express my gratitude for you. and so glad that you are back. And I remember the humongous project of going through all of my mother's belongings. And we'll never forget that time. So uh, much love and peace and serenity to you and to all of our listeners, our listeners, <laughs> your listeners, my listeners. We are a family of recovery. Love the Rooms of um, Recovery and your show specifically. So God bless.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Louise, for sharing your experience and your thoughts on acceptance. It is powerful. We got, got another voicemail from Roberta, this time about acceptance.
2: Good morning, Spencer. This is Roberta from Northern California calling on the episode of Acceptance. Thank you so much for that. It was exactly what I needed to hear today. And I can feel for your grief and the pain. Losing my mom will be six years this month, May, May 23rd. She actually passed the day before my birthday, which is my belly button birthday, which is May 24th. So it's bittersweet. And I too volunteered to speak at my mom's service. And it was a good idea at the time. And then when I happened, when the day came, I remember thinking, okay, mom, you got to help me get through this because I don't know how to get through this. And you're going to have to help me write what I'm going to say because I have no idea what I'm going to say. It, it came out exactly, you can hear. I still, it's been six, it'll be six years. The grief, I think, softens, but I miss her every day. And we didn't have a great relationship. And I, have some of those regrets. But again, it's one of those things. It was exactly the way it was supposed to be in both of our lives. And could it have been better? Sure, it could have. Can I change it? Not today. (laughs) But I can talk to her every day. I can have a better relationship with my father, who's still alive. And there are blessings in everything. And as you said, Finding the acceptance as cancer took my mom away in five weeks when she was diagnosed and acceptance that I'm glad she didn't suffer and acceptance that she did get to meet her first great grandchild and she watches over both of her great grandsons. I know that from the bottom of my heart. So I just wanted to reach out and say thank you so much. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you for um, all your co-hosts and all you do. I am grateful for this podcast. Thanks, Spencer. Bye.
0: Thank you, Roberta, for also sharing about grief and maybe acceptance of grief. Dillette writes, Hello, Spencer. Today I noticed there was a new episode from you. I was very glad to see that. I listened to your explanation of where your head is at these days. My father died in October, and my husband died in May, both of them last year. My brother and I had to do what you and your siblings did, and it was, for me, bittersweet as well. The experience brought my brother and I even closer together, which is, of course, the good part. Then, as you know now, going through our parents' lives was difficult. Our parents were married over 60 years, and, like you, my brother and I stayed in long-term marriages based partly and what we saw our parents do. Funny how impactful these models are on us as we become our own adults. Anyway, I'm glad to hear you were back. You were truly missed by me and many others. Your shares and your guests really resonate with me, and I have missed the podcast so much. I want you to know how much I enjoy and learn from your podcasts. They help me so much in my recovery as I learn how to live my life after alcoholism took my beloved husband. Take care, Spencer. I'm sure you know the process of grieving it comes in many different scenarios. We want to support you in your journey as you have helped in so many others journey. Thank you. To that. Thank you for that. To that. I was recently listening to a show about grief and grieving. The person that was being interviewed distinguished grief from grieving. Like grief is a thing that happens, like this feeling that comes up like boom and Grieving is a process, and I don't think she said this, but to me it is really a process of letting go, and it takes a long time. I'm not sure what show it was I was listening to now, but I guess it gave me some peace to to understand that you know, grief will come, and that the thing to do, and I know I've said this before, but it just keeps being important, the thing to do when it comes, is to feel it because if I don't feel it, then it stays. And if I take it in and I feel it in the moment, then it passes and I know it'll come back, but I don't have to, to carry it with me. I got a voicemail from Kristen.
4: Hi, Spencer. My name is Kristen, and I am. Responding to the call for experience, strength, and hope regarding your loved one having substance issues and mental health issues. What my program has taught me is, you know, it helped me navigate what is my responsibility still as the parent of a minor child since our journey started when she was 15? And what boundaries can I set And walk away and allow her to experience the consequences of those choices. Prior to Al-Anon, I had no ability to do that or to even figure out what that looks like for me. But then also the challenge of her spiraling addiction and mental health issues. Within the last four years, we've had three suicide attempts one of which I spent three months in the hospital, Children's Hospital, with her and left her disabled. And that made it even harder to navigate. So really, this program has saved our relationship and my life.
0: Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for sharing that experience, strength, and Hope. And I hope that I might be able to get you on the podcast to talk about it more deeply at some point. Get a review on Apple Podcasts from... Somebody who signs themselves Sususer? Sususer? Not sure. It's got umlauts, so I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Titled Warmth and Understanding, she writes Facing fears, taking responsibility for our lives, redirecting our energies way more productively, stopping trying to control the impossible to control, setting examples of listening, being present, showing up. I have learned so much already in my first few weeks of binging on this life saving, sanity saving, clarifying podcast. Spencer shows us his strength, emotional intelligence, and integrity by putting his heart and soul and sweat, time, and energy into this show and opening his heart to all who are lucky enough to get to listen on our healing journeys. Great co-hosts, great contributions from listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for that wonderful review. And if you want to leave a review that might encourage somebody who's thinking about listening to the show to actually listen, please do. Thanks. Cheney says, Good afternoon. I would like to express my gratitude. I've been struggling with the fact that my loved one continues to have a troubled life which results in hurting members of my family, although my loved one has been sober for nine years. For the first time I researched a podcast to listen to on your site, came available to me. Episode 377 was the perfect way for me to validate that the isms continue, even if your loved one is not actively drinking. I will continue to listen and practice the pause. Thank you, Jeannie. So 377 is that episode, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not, which Linda also wrote about. So Jeannie, I'm glad that helped. Karen writes, Hi, I want to thank you for your podcast. I'm living with an active alcoholic. I went to al back in 2016 for one year. I know I didn't work the program as I could have, and I should never have left. I never got a sponsor. I just bought the book called Courage to Change. And now back to reading that book and listening to your podcast. What I liked about the program was feeling that I was surrounded by people who understood. However, I felt like everyone else's stories were worse than mine. Finding their drunk husbands on the street, heroin addict children that were left homeless, etc. A lot of the women let their lives go, but I thought I was different. I had full life. I love my job, take care of myself, and when my husband is sober, which is the majority of the time, we have a loving relationship. My husband has finally admitted to having a problem, speaks to a counselor, prays, meditates, but says he is not going to stop drinking. He feels that he can control it, but he can't. My problem is I can't get rid of the anxiety I feel when the weekend is approaching, when we are going to a party, when we are heading to a wedding right now, and especially vacations, which are my time to relax and recharge. I know I should go back to al but I feel like it is unfair that I should be working so hard when he is the one that should be working to stop his drinking. I'm a teacher in my area, and I'm also fearful that I will see someone that I know. I know I have a long road ahead. I've been married 28 years to a wonderful man with a horrible addiction. I'm hopeful that one day he will confront his illness. If you have any words of wisdom for me, I need it. As I wrote that last sentence, I started to cry, which I haven't done in years. I guess I need more help than I'm choosing to admit. Again, thank you for your podcast and for being a comfort to so many affected by this disease. Best regards, Karen. There's so much in here, Karen. One thing that, that I was encouraged to do and that I encourage you to do is to listen for the similarities rather than the differences. You hear other people's stories. Yeah, the people with the dramatic stories are definitely, they got a better story. But that's not really why we're there. We're there to find recovery for ourselves and to help with the anxiety that you talk about the anxiety for situations where drinking is going to happen, and perhaps tools to to help with that. You've probably heard this before, but I will say it again. We go to Al-Anon for ourselves. And if you want the help that Al-Anon provides, then I would say go. But at least keep listening. And my best wishes to you and your family. Elsie left us a voicemail.
5: Hi, Spencer, this is... LCS, I'm in Southwest Ontario, Canada, and this this message is long, long overdue. I'm so grateful to you and The Recovery Show and and everyone who has hosted an episode with you. I'm a grateful member of al since November of 2021, when my now ex-wife of 14 years was in a fourth or fifth relapse in several years. And drove our young children while inebriated, which became the crisis that finally got me into the room. I don't think I would have made it
1: through the last six months without you guys. So thank
5: you for that. I remember sitting on the floor in my bathroom crying, waiting for a call back from the Allen online to find out when there was an online meeting I could attend when I just got a thought in my head probably from the higher power. I bet there's a podcast about how So I went to my podcast app and I looked for it and there was the recovery show and I started listening immediately. And it was such a lifeline and I think it really turbocharged my program because it gave me access to the answers to all kinds of questions that I had immediately. And by December, I was going to a meeting every day I did 90 meetings in 90 days. I still go to four or five meetings a week. And it has helped me tremendously to survive what has happened in my life. And miraculously, I'm happier than I was six months ago in spite of the fact that all these things that I was so afraid of have come to pass. Unfortunately, or fortunately for me, my path was not towards reconciliation with my loved one, but... We have strong relationships because we're co-parents, and that's going well in large part due to the fact that I have a program, even if she does not. So thank you, and I will be forever grateful. It's such a tremendous service what you do. Keep doing what you're doing. And you have been in my thoughts and my prayers as you have been going through the The deaths of your parents and the changes in your life in the last few years.
0: That's a wonderful story of diving headfirst into recovery. Thank you for calling. Ted has a real short note here. He says, this is an awesome service. I listen almost every day since finding your show. It has helped me a lot in going through my first step four. Thanks, Ted. And Kathy suggests a topic of being married to an adult child of an alcoholic or to a dry drunk with no recovery. And I don't know if it sounds like two separate topics to me, so again, I reach out to you, the listener. if you have that experience that you'd like to share, email me feedback at the recovery show, and we'll get you on. It's pretty easy, really. All you got to do is talk, and that's it for the humongous mailbag this time in my mother's memorial service, we played the song. Teach Your Children by Crosby Stills Nash and Young because I think we felt that our parents and my mother in particular taught us so much. So it was felt like a really good song to uh, to share in that context. So that's my other song selection. You can listen to it on the website at therecovery.show three eighty two. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.